Everybody and welcome to Soccer 101. My name is Taylor Rockwell, and on this episode, we're going to be getting to the bottom of why so many Americans have spent time in the Bundesliga. And a chance now, and it's been put away by Weston McKinney. One 0 to Schalke, and Weston McKinney with goals in back-to-back games. What was on the deck? He got up, and he scored. He cracked his head when all were losing theirs, and Hamburg lead here. Too long. Pulisic at the edge of the box. Tries to find me on. What a hit! And what a start to the season for the US international. A goal in the Super Cup. And now a goal in opening day. Of options in there. Harnik and Sargent. First touch in the top flight of German football. And Josh Sargent bags a goal for Werder Bremen. It's in for Reiner. Bellingham and now Gio Reyna with a sight of goal and Borussia Dortmund are up and running in the Bundesliga. It's certainly not a new thing to have Americans playing in the Bundesliga. Hungary-born U.S. international Andy Mate scored two goals for Hamburg in the 1964-1965 season, which coincidentally is roughly the same number of Bundesliga goals scored by Bobby Wood since then. Uh, but since the 1960s, more than 60 Americans have played in Germany's top flight, with many more in the country's lower divisions. But whereas it was a steady trickle of players in the 1990s and early 2000s, the modern Bundesliga has seen an explosion of American involvement. So why Why is it that Americans have gained such a foothold in Germany compared to the Netherlands, Spain, Italy, or England? Well, there are three primary factors which we'll be looking at today. The first is the one that most people will point to. It's the military angle. After World War II, the American military presence in occupied Germany was sizable, especially compared to their presence in, say, France or Italy. It had never really occurred to me until researching this question that it stands to reason that if lots of Americans were stationed in both Germany and Italy after the war, then there should be more Italian-Americans tearing it up in Serie A. They're obviously not, and the reason this is not the case is because of the Cold War. The partitioning of Germany into West and East necessitated a sizable American military presence to counter that of the Soviet Union. Fraternization between American servicemen and German civilians was not permitted until the late 1940s, when the occupying powers in both East and West Germany replaced their military governors with civilian leaders, and the occupations ended officially in the mid-1950s. However, the American military presence remained with literally hundreds of military installations in Germany existing in various forms right up until the end of the Cold War. Today, Germany is home to five of the seven U.S. Army garrisons in Europe, and the headquarters for the United States Army in Europe is at the garrison at Weisbaden near Frankfurt. As of 2020, there are approximately 40,000 active-duty military personnel in the country. That's not including support staff and their families and the like. So, lots of American servicemen and women in Germany for many, many years. That means some of those folks are settling down uh, with German civilians. Some of them are marrying each other, uh, like my parents, who were both military brats who met in Germany. But no dual citizenship for me because both of them Americans. But there were many Americans who married Germans and had German babies, or German-American babies would be more appropriate. And some of those names have spent time with the national team. Prominent names would be John Brooks, Jermaine Jones, Timmy Chandler... 
But there are plenty more like, say, David Yeldell, Terrence Boyd, Danny Williams, Alfredo Morales, to name just a few. Even former Bayern Munich manager Felix Magath uh, had U.S. eligibility thanks to his father, a soldier in the U.S. Army who was originally from Puerto Rico. Alas, he took his talents to the West German national team with whom he won the Euros in 1980. He later had a brief relationship with Fulham that lasted for about seven months. How much more American can you get than that? I also think it's interesting to note that there are like sort of varying approaches when it comes to the children of American service people stationed abroad. For example, Weston McKinney, born in Texas, but then did spend three years in Germany playing for a German team that I cannot pronounce because his father was stationed there. Then they moved back to Texas, but you wonder if maybe that experience in Germany helped pave the way for his eventual move to Schalke. But then there are players like, say, John Brooks, whose father was an American serviceman. I believe I'm correct in saying that he did not know him very much, if at all. Uh, I believe I'm also correct in saying that John Brooks had never set foot in the United States when he chose to play for the national team. He's another one similar to, say, Fabian Johnson, who had actually represented Germany at youth level. Make of that what you will. Certainly some folks will say that we're just sort of the safety school when it comes to German-American players, uh, and that may well be the case, but when it comes to the German national team, I think it's okay to be their safety school for now, and I don't want to take anything away from those players who probably feel German and American all all at once, and maybe sometimes you want to play for the German national team, but maybe sometimes you want to play for the U.S. But speaking for myself, I will take that trade-off, because though we could potentially lose some talent, it does also mean that, say, we score an 80th-minute header against Ghana in the World Cup, and I am good with that. But the American military angle is one of only three prongs of the explanation for why there are so many Americans in the Bundesliga. We will be back to look at a couple more explanations in just a moment, but first, a word from today's sponsors. This episode of Soccer 101 is brought to you by the fine folks at ExpressVPN who would like to remind you that if you are not living in the United States, the easiest way to watch all the Premier League action is via the Peacock Premium app, which does allow you to get all of the Premier League live games and full replays for under $5 a month. The problem is that it's only available here in the United States. But with ExpressVPN, it allows you to have an American IP address, so then you can get access to the app and watch all those games. But if you're an American who's wondering about the benefits of VPN services... The answer is that there are many. Uh, It allows for more secure online shopping. You can avoid ISP tracking. You can access your home network securely so you don't have any worries about hacking. You get public Wi-Fi security, privacy from uh, data mining, data gathering. Uh, Anonymous downloads are a thing of the past. Many, many good reasons to look into VPN services. And, as I previously said, if you're trying to get access to all 380 of this season's Premier League games, plus hundreds of shows like Saturday Night Live and American Ninja Warrior, and Peacock Originals as well, then again, ExpressVPN makes that easy. Go to expressvpn.com slash soccer and get an extra three months of ExpressVPN free on a one-year package. And this goes for everyone, not just our international listeners. expressvpn.com slash soccer for three months free. One more time, expressvpn.com slash soccer. Thank you very much to ExpressVPN for sponsoring this episode of Soccer 101. Thank you to Keeps for sponsoring this episode of Soccer 101. Keeps would like to point out that for many men, identity is wrapped up in 
our hair, from how it feels after getting a fresh cut to the way it's perfectly styled before going out. That's why when we get into our 20s and 30s and start noticing the first signs of hair loss, things definitely feel a little panicky. I will say this. uh, My wife and I have a a newborn baby, still newborn. I think eight weeks is newborn. uh, And we were kind of looking at what features are hers and mine. And she does have a slightly similar hairline to mine. I mentioned that. And my wife immediately blurted out, like, no, she doesn't, which is a good sign of maybe where my hairline is. Two out of three guys will experience some form of male pattern baldness by the time they're 35, and the best way to prevent hair loss is to do something about it while you still have hair left. With Keeps, you can visit a doctor online and get hair loss medication delivered right to your door. They make it easy and deliver your medication every three months so you can say goodbye to pharmacy checkout lines and awkward doctor visits. And with the pandemic... Nobody wants to go and wait in a line in a pharmacy. Keeps treatments typically take between four to six months to see results, so it's important to act fast. The sooner you start using Keeps, the more hair you'll save. So if you're ready to take action and prevent hair loss, go to keeps.com slash soccer101 to receive your first month of treatment for free. That's K-E-E-P-S dot com slash soccer and then 101 the numbers. One more time, keeps.com slash soccer101 to receive your first month of treatment for free. Check them out. Don't make your wife anxious when it comes to your baby's hairline. Thank you very much to Keeps for sponsoring today's episode of Soccer 101. Now back to the show. We are back, and it's time to talk about the second explanation for why so many Americans have landed on Germany as the place to start their European careers. It's basically because Germany makes it very, very easy. The work permitting process for American players over the age of 16 is much simpler than it is in many other European countries. And there are, to my knowledge, no limitations when it comes to non-European Union roster spots like you can find in Serie A or La Liga. So if you're a 16-year-old and very good at soccer, the Bundesliga is more likely to take a look than a lot of other leagues. And if you happen to have a European passport, as say Christian Pulisic did or Gio Reyna did, then you can make that move even sooner. Bundesliga clubs can more readily bring teenagers into their respective academies and develop them to suit their team's style of play. I also personally believe that there is more of a tradition of this and thus more flexibility when it comes to Bundesliga teams doing this. I'm sure there's data out there. I don't have the energy to go and find it. But I would argue that I think teams are more comfortable in the Bundesliga bringing through 17, 18-year-olds and giving them opportunities because are Hoffenheim expected to challenge for the Premier League every year or the Bundesliga title every year? Probably not. So there's a bit more patience. I think there's a bit more willingness to build from within and develop your team's strength that way than going out and buying a bunch of people. And that does kind of factor into the third prong of all of this, which is money. Money, money, money. The Bundesliga at present cannot compete with the Premier League when it comes to the money on offer. Last season, the lowest finishing teams in the Bundesliga that remained in the top flight were Augsburg in 15th and Werder Bremen in 16th. Bremen's net spend on transfers last season came to a grand total of $15 million. That's one Five million, and their biggest signing was Nicholas Fulkrug for seven million dollars. We're going in dollars here because that's how Transfer Market listed it. I apologize, but so be it. In total, that $15 million was spent on seven players for Werder Bremen. Augsburg, for their part, also had a big outlay, spending $34 million on 10 players plus two free transfers. So 34 divided by 12 equals not quite $3 million. That's around $3 million per player. 
In the Premier League, the two clubs that finished in comparable positions would be West Ham and Aston Villa. In the 2019-2020 season, Villa spent $175 million on 13 players, including $27.5 million for Wesley and $24.5 million for Tyrone Mings. But maybe, we could argue, they augmented that with some smart sales of their own. $175 million spent, net spend of $171 million. Turns out that $3.3 million sale of Jonathan Kodija to the Qatari league did not balance Villa's books. West Ham, who finished one place ahead of Aston Villa, dropped a cool $130 million on six players. $55 million of that was spent on a single player, Sebastian Haller, who was subsequently sold to Ajax in January 2021 for $25 million. That's right, $30 million depreciation over 18 months. But hey, anytime you can lose $30 million on a single player, you have to do it if you're a Premier League team. If you're a Bundesliga club looking not in your direction Bayern Munich, but mostly everybody else, hunting out value and then developing it into top talent is an accepted and well-practiced approach. And even Bayern, with their connection to FC Dallas, are very, very good at that. Sticking with Sebastian Haller for a minute, before Eintracht Frankfurt sold him to West Ham for $55 million, they bought him from FC Utrecht in the Netherlands for $7.7 million. That's what folks in the industry would call good profit. And where can Bundesliga clubs regularly find young, hardworking, undervalued talent on a consistent basis? That would be the United States. And since training compensation and solidarity payments are handled differently in America than pretty much anywhere else in the world, players are even cheaper and the contracts that much more simple to navigate. As I said earlier with Bayern, when you have existing relationships or sort of unofficial partnerships or official partnerships with MLS teams or academies in the United States, or you've launched your own, then that pipeline gets even stronger and the ability to pull players in even easier. Therefore, the location that much more desirable. So, to summarize, Bundesliga clubs already have a propensity to seek out undervalued talent, and I should emphasize young undervalued talent, in foreign markets. The United States already has a strong historical and, to some extent, biological connection to Germany, whose immigration laws facilitate much freer player movement than most other EU nations. Plus, beer and sausage. Never underestimate the appeal of beer and sausage. FC Sampali don't, nor does their sausage train. You shouldn't either. With our time remaining, I'd like to take a look at how some other leagues operate around Europe. In Spain, each La Liga club is permitted to have five non-EU players, but only three can be named in the matchday squad, unless you're Real Madrid and then you find ways around it. In the Segunda Division, that number drops to two players. An interesting wrinkle to that policy comes in the form of the Cotonou Agreement, which is not a thing I was really familiar with, but I am sort of now. It's a treaty signed by the European Union and the African, Caribbean, and Pacific group of states. Amongst other things, the agreement means that players from the represented countries do not count as non-EU players, or more simply, they count as EU players, so they don't count against those roster limitations. So, uh, Mauritania's Abdallah Mahmoud doesn't hurt Elche's roster, nor does Nigeria's Samuel Chukweze for Villarreal, Senegal's Amath Ndai for Hatafe, or Mariano Diaz, formerly of the Dominican Republic, for Real Madrid. The gist here would be that if there's a promising youngster in New Zealand or Haiti, there's a chance they get a closer look than an American counterpart simply due to the ease of roster building. 
There's a stronger tradition of Americans getting chances in the Netherlands, but those spots are at a premium when it comes to price. The Netherlands has no limits on the number of non-EU players clubs are allowed to employ. However, it does require non-EU athletes to acquire a work permit to play professional football. That makes sense. That work permit has mandatory salary requirements for a player who is 18 or 19. That basic salary is about 200,000 euros per year. For players 20 years of age or older, that number is closer to 400,000. Euros. These figures are, on average, much higher than the average salaries for Dutch players of similar ranges in the Eredivisie. The basic reality is that most Dutch clubs cannot afford these prices, so only a select few of the larger clubs can look to non-EU talent. Ajax may be willing to roll the dice on Alex Mendes, PSV on Richie Ledesma, but they aren't going all in the way Schalke did when they had roughly 48 Americans on their books. The system functions to give the majority of minutes to young Dutch players, which possibly explains why a below-sea-level nation roughly the geographic size of West Virginia has produced an absurd number of professional footballers. One interesting wrinkle when it comes to this topic would be the recent revisions to the work permitting process in England. Recent would be with this episode recorded in January of 2021. Basically, it used to be that EU nations, uh, players automatically would get work permits. It was a pretty easy process. Non-EU players had to go through lots of different hoops involving number of caps and quality of opponent, all that good stuff. With Brexit, EU players no longer automatically get visas to play in the English leagues. They are subject to the rules of non-EU players, but... Premier League clubs really can't afford to have the really strict uh, policies in place that they do for non-EU players, so essentially the entire thing has now been opened up. It all revolves around a point system that does make it easier than ever for non-EU players to get into England. It's why Sebastian Soto was recalled by Norwich from his Dutch club, because now there's a chance he's going to get that work permit. If you're listening to this well in the future, hopefully that's what happened. Here's a quick summary from the FA's website. The GBE, Governing Body Endorsement, uh, will operate a points-based system where points are scored for senior and talented young players based on senior and youth international appearances, quality of the selling club based on the league they're in, league position and progression in continental competition, and club appearances based on domestic league and continental competition minutes. That's a slightly more confusing way of saying if you are over the age of 18 and playing regularly in one of Europe's top five leagues, you're almost guaranteed a work permit. That's the same for regular internationals for a top 50 FIFA-ranked nation. The point system there is really going to benefit you. Same for if you're playing in international competitions like uh, Copa Libertadores. It does favor South American players, but we could see Americans benefiting from it as well. We don't really know what the Gold Cup will mean. We all know it's the most important tournament. We just don't know how much the FA values it. But the point still stands that the door is slightly more ajar than it's ever been, specifically for players over the age of 18. There are still regulations and rules in place for younger players, and that does then still benefit Germany, given their freer policies and the fact that you only need to be 16 to make that move to the Bundesliga, plus, again, beer and sausages. And on that note, we come to the end of another Soccer 101 episode. Beer and sausage is always the best way to end. If you missed the live show that Ryan and I did this week on the Stereo app, you can still replay it by checking out my profile on the app. It should be there to stream. It's a good hour-long chat. We answer lots of different questions about the Champions League and do our best to figure out who we think will make it far, which Americans will go far, all that good stuff. The app itself is free to download, easy to use, and we will be making the live reaction shows a weekly thing. So 
So check out the app when you can. Next week, it will be myself and Joe Lowry. And we're going to be kind of turning the tables a little bit. We're still going to be answering your questions, but then we're going to put some of that back out because we want to hear what you, the listeners, have to say. We want to make it a bit more interactive, and hopefully that works for you all as well. And that bit of housekeeping about wraps it up for us this week. Thank you so much for listening. If this is your first Soccer 101 episode, please scroll back in the feed to see some earlier episodes and see what this show is all about. And if you have people in your life interested in getting into soccer, but they're confused by some of the basic points, then send them over here. Uh, Until then, for now, I've been Taylor Rockwell. This has been Soccer 101. Thank you all for listening, and we will be back with more episodes next week. 